Section 13 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The World's Story, Volume 8. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 13. Stories of Olaf Tryggvason, King of Norway, from 996 to 1000. The father of Olaf Tryggvason, grandson of Harald Fairhair, was an independent chief in Viken. After his murder, his wife Astrida fled to a tiny island in a lake, and there her son Olaf was born. The mother, still in danger from the murderers of her husband, took refuge in Russia with a kinsman. An outline of her son's adventurous career is given in the following pages. In the year 1000, Olaf contended with the Danes in a furious fight at sea. When most of his thanes had been killed, and he himself was sorely wounded, he sprang overboard. His foes tried to capture him, but he threw his shield over his head and sank beneath the blood-reddened waters. The story of this battle is told in the history of Sweden under the title The Revenge of Sigrid the Haughty. Olaf was never seen in Norway again, but his people could not believe that he was dead, and soon a story arose that he had not been killed, but had dived under the vessel and escaped. Furthermore, he had, according to legend, put upon himself the grey cloak of a pilgrim, had journeyed to Rome in the Holy Land, and had finally become a hermit, dying in the odour of sanctity after much prayer and fasting. The Editor Olaf's Youthful Adventures by Henry Wheaton. After residing for nine years at the Russian court, Olaf left in the nineteenth year of his age and cruised in the Baltic Sea as a Viking. He afterwards espoused the daughter of a Vend prince, and with his father-in-law joined the final expedition of the Emperor Otho against Denmark. He returned to his wife's country, where he remained three years, and on her death resumed his sea-roving life. He cruised for several years on the coasts of England, Scotland, Ireland, and France, and on his arrival at Scilly was converted to Christianity by a solitary monk or hermit in that remote and sequestered island. But he had probably acquired some notions of the Christian religion, as it was understood and practiced in those barbarous times, in Russia, and both the English and Norman chronicles assure us that he was solemnly baptized at London and at Rouen in Normandy. Probably, like most of the northern adventurers of that age, he might not be unwilling to give repeated proofs in different countries and at different times of his determination to renounce the errors of paganism. The fame of the exploits of Olaf Tryggvason reached the ear of the tyrant of Norway, who heard with terror that there was a youthful hero of the race of Harald Harfager still surviving, who might challenge his claim to the Norwegian scepter. Hakon sent one of his subtlest agents, Thorer Klaka, to Dublin in Ireland, where Olaf had married a Northman princess of that country, to discover and circumvent him with artful wiles. Thorer, who had before visited Ireland, both as a merchant and a sea-rover, presented himself to Olaf as one of the victims of Hakon's tyranny, and represented that his countrymen would receive with open arms the descendant of their ancient princes as a deliverer from a yoke which had become insupportable. Encouraged by these solicitations, 
Olaf set sail for Norway, accompanied by his pretended friend, Thorer. On their arrival in that country, they found that the greater part of the chieftains and people had actually risen in arms against Hakon. Thorer was confounded at finding what he had deceitfully represented to Olaf actually realized during his absence. He endeavored in vain to find out Hakon, who had fled before the rising storm, and sought a refuge in a distant part of the country with a woman of illustrious birth, named Thora, who provided him a hiding-place in a secret grotto, where he remained concealed from his enemies. In the meantime, Thora returned to the ship, and advised Olaf to land, and take advantage of the disposition of the people in his favor, intending, however, to lead him into an ambush, and thus consummate his treachery by slaying the young prince. But Olaf anticipated the designs of Thorer, and caused him to be put to death before he could accomplish his intentions. There was now a general rising of the Norwegians against Hakon, who was assassinated by one of his own slaves. The bloody head of his enemy was brought to Olaf, who commanded the slave to be instantly put to death. Both their heads were then fixed up at the place of execution for common malefactors, and exposed to the gaze of the multitude, who expressed their hate by covering them with a shower of stones. The people of Norway immediately elected Olaf to fill the vacant throne. He was recommended to their choice not only by his birth, being a lineal descendant of Harold I, and, what was scarcely of less importance with the northern nations, by his manly beauty, but also by his heroic spirit, valor, and reputation for wisdom and knowledge acquired in foreign lands. How Gita Chose Olaf for a Husband From the Heimskringla While Olaf Tryggvason lay in the Seely Isles, he heard of a seer, or fortune-teller, on the islands, who could tell beforehand things not yet done, and what he foretold, many believed, was really fulfilled. Olaf became curious to try this man's gift of prophecy. He therefore sent one of his men, who was the handsomest and strongest, clothed him magnificently, and bade him say he was the king, for Olaf was known in all countries as handsomer, stronger, and braver than all others. Although after he had left Russia, he retained no more of his name than that he was called Ola, and was Russian. Now when the messenger came to the fortune-teller, and gave himself out for the king, he got the answer, Thou art not the king, but I advise thee to be faithful to thy king. And more he would not say to that man. The man returned, and told Olaf, and his desire to meet the fortune-teller was increased, and now he had no doubt of his being really a fortune-teller. Olaf repaired himself to him, and entering into conversation, asked him if he could foresee how it would go with him with regard to his kingdom, or of any other fortune he was to have. The hermit replies in a holy spirit of prophecy, Thou wilt become a renowned king, and do celebrated deeds. Many men wilt thou bring to faith and baptism, and both to thy own and others good. And that thou mayest have no doubt of the truth of this answer, listen to these tokens. When thou comest to thy ships, many of thy people will conspire against thee, and then a battle will follow in which many of thy men will fall, and thou wilt be wounded almost to death, and carried upon a shield to thy ship. Yet after seven days thou shalt be well of thy wounds, and immediately thou shalt let thyself be baptized. Soon after, Olaf went down to his ships, where he met some mutineers and people who would destroy him and his men. A fight took place, and the result was what the hermit had predicted, that Olaf was wounded, 
and carried upon a shield to his ship, and that his wound was healed in seven days. Then Olaf perceived that the man had spoken truth, that he was a true fortune-teller and had the gift of prophecy. Olaf went once more to the hermit and asked particularly how he came to have such wisdom in foreseeing things to be. The hermit replied that the Christian's God himself let him know all that he desired, and he brought before Olaf many great proofs of the power of the Almighty. In consequence of this encouragement, Olaf agreed to let himself be baptized, and he and all his followers were baptized forthwith. He remained here a long time, took the true faith, and got with him priests and other learned men. In autumn, Olaf sailed from Seely to England, where he put into a harbor, but proceeded in a friendly way, for England was Christian, and he himself had become a Christian. At this time a summons to a thing went through the country, that all men should come to hold a thing. Now when the thing was assembled, a queen called Gida came to it, a sister of Olaf Quarren, who was king of Dublin in Ireland. She had been married to a great earl in England, and after his death she was at the head of his dominions. In her territory there was a man called Alfin, who was a great champion and single combat man. He had paid his addresses to her, but she gave for answer that she herself would choose whom of the men in her dominions she would take in marriage, and on that account the thing was assembled, that she might choose a husband. Alfin came there dressed out in his best clothes, and there were many well-dressed men at the meeting. Olaf had come there also, but he had on his bad-weather clothes and a coarse overgarment, and stood with his people apart from the rest of the crowd. Gita went round and looked at each, to see if any appeared to her a suitable man. Now when she came to where Olaf stood, she looked at him straight in the face, and asked what sort of man he was. He said, I am called Olaf, and I am a stranger here. Gita replies, Wilt thou have me if I choose thee? I will not say no to that, answered he, and he asked what her name was, her family and descent. I am called Gida, said she, and am daughter of the king of Ireland, and was married in this country to an earl who ruled over this territory. Since his death I have ruled over it, and many have courted me, but none to whom I would choose to be married. She was a young and handsome woman. They afterwards talked over the matter together and agreed, and Olaf and Gida were betrothed. Alfin was very ill-pleased with this. It was the custom then in England, if two strove for anything, to settle the matter by single combat. And now Alfin challenges Olaf Trigvison to fight about this business. The time and place for the combat were settled, and that each should have twelve men with him. When they met, Olaf told his men to do exactly as they saw him do. He had a large axe, and when Alfin was going to cut at him with his sword, he hewed away the sword out of his hand, and with the next blow struck Alfin himself. He then bound him fast. It went in the same way with all Alfin's men. They were beaten down, bound, and carried to Olaf's lodging. Thereupon he ordered Alfin to quit the country and never appear in it again, and Olaf took all his property. Olaf in this way got Gida in marriage, and lived sometimes in England and sometimes in Ireland. King Olaf orders a poem from the Heimskringla. As King Olaf one day was walking in the street, some men met him, and he who went the foremost saluted the king. The king asked the man his name, and he called himself Halfred. Art thou the skald? said the king. I can compose poetry, replied he. 
"'Wilt thou then adopt Christianity and come into my service?' asked the king. "'If I am baptized,' replied he, "'it must be on one condition, that thou thyself art my godfather, for no other will I have.' The king replied, "'That I will do.' And Halford was baptized, the king holding him during the baptism. Afterwards the king said, "'Wilt thou enter into my service?' Halford replied, "'I was formerly in Earl Hacken's court.' but now I will neither enter into thine nor into any other service, unless thou promise me it shall never be my lot to be driven away from thee. It has been reported to me, said the king, that thou art neither so prudent nor so obedient as to fulfill my commands. In that case, replied Halfred, put me to death. Thou art a scald who composes difficulties, said the king, but into my service, Halfred, thou shalt be received. Halfred said, if I am to be named the composer of difficulties, what dost thou give me, king, on my name-day? The king gave him a sword without a scabbard, and said, Now compose me a song upon this sword, and let the word sword be in every line of the verses. Halford sang thus, This sword of swords is my reward, from him who knows to wield a sword, and with his sword to serve his lord, yet wants a sword, his lot is hard. I would I had my good lord's leave for this good sword's sheath to choose. I'm worth three swords where men's swords use, but for the sword sheath now I grieve. Then the king gave him the scabbard, observing that the word sword was wanting in one line of his strophe. But there are three swords in at least two other lines, said Halfred. So it is, replied the king. Out of Halfred's lays, we have taken the most of the true and faithful accounts that are here related about Olaf Trigvason. End of section 13